0: Well, two men in search of a argument, search of an argument. We are recording Sunday, September seventeenth, from Shanghai, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and the Washington D.C. area, I believe. Um, I'm Peggy Bennett from Grand Rapids. I'm a semi-regular guest host. Uh, happy to be here today with the founders of the podcast, as always, Jim Gentilly and John Heinz. Good morning.
1: Good morning. Hi, Pegger. It's evening um,
0: here. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Good evening in China. So today we're excited to have a uh, keep it in the family, so to speak, by interviewing one of the founding members of the podcast, John Heinz. John, as you all know, is, I don't need to do a big intro because our 20 listeners know everything there is to know about John, (laughs) Uh, but he is a teacher, a lawyer, a husband, a brother, an uncle, a great friend, and um, let's be honest, a little bit of an sometimes. Um, I feel super lucky to know John and I'm happy to introduce him this morning and we're excited to hear what his first month of living in Shanghai has been like.
1: Well that was by the way the best introduction ever. Oh yeah you like that. John I'm going to start by asking you this what is the thing about the United States and I don't mean leaving aside your family and friends what is the Element of U.S. society that you miss most being in China? Just the food.
2: Really? I mean, I'm. I hit a place a couple of years ago where I just started to eat all comfort food all the time. And I actually like Chinese food a lot, and there's a lot of it here, but it is relentless. Define
1: comfort food. What is comfort food for you?
2: But, you know, burgers and fries, macaroni and cheese, pizza, just things that are like filling and easy and. Tasty and, you know, delicious and creamy. American
1: and... food, basically, you're talking. Yeah,
2: American food. But it's I think sometimes, you know, not like hoity-toity restaurants in the U.S., but just regular food. You know, I stopped being healthy a decade ago. And now in the no. last five years, I've gotten completely unhealthy. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I just eat whatever I want to eat, and I don't really pay any attention, which I always used to do. But I exercised so much in the past, it didn't matter. But now... I don't exercise and i and I like to eat comfort food, so here it's okay. I mean the food's delicious here it's just that it's relentless, right? You can get anything you want, but it's there's a lot of really good Chinese, so you want to eat it all the time and i you know I just miss my I miss plain old American comfort food
0: so you can't get a big burger and fries.
2: No, you can, but they're really expensive. So they have a whole – there's a whole expat community here. I mean, I'm in Shanghai. So Shanghai is super international. There's an incredible number of people from everywhere. So you can get anything, especially – you can get literally anything, and you can get it delivered in 20 minutes. It's like New York in that way. But the prices are as high as So how do you
0: order it? How do you order it for delivery? There's
2: a website. There's an app. Sherpas. Uh, You go on the app and you can literally pull up every restaurant within 20 miles and you can pull up, order it, and and some little guy on a scooter will be here in 20 minutes bringing it to your door for about a dollar.
1: Sherpas. It's incredible.
2: I mean, you can literally have anything delivered here. It's anything. Sounds
1: just like New York. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So how do you pay for that? Is it paid for on the app? Like you link your credit card or do you actually have cash?
2: Yeah, so for food, for Sherpas, you can actually pay for it when you can have it paid on delivery. You just pay them cash on delivery. But they also take – there are two ways everybody pays for everything here. WeChat, which is the Chinese knockoff of Facebook slash Gmail slash – God, I don't even know, like Twitter. It's kind of all these things in, into one site, and WeChat has a payment system where you can attach it to your bank card and or to your bank account, and you can pay for things. And people just show QR codes to one another. They, you hold up your phone. Somebody else takes a picture of your little QR code, and you say how much money you want to give them, and you give it to them, and it transfers instantaneously, and everybody takes it. I mean, every business takes the same thing, and you can, and you can pay for everything instantaneously. It's super wow. easy. And then the other one is called Alipay, and Alipay is a little bit like PayPal. In fact, it's exactly like PayPal. It looks just like PayPal. It functions like PayPal, but it's much more heavily used here, and you can pay for literally anything with it. People will come to the door, and you can pay with it, or you can go to a store and pay with it. Like, I mean, there are 7-Elevens here, but there are also a lot of other stores like that, and you can pay for everything. It's really easy to pay for stuff. So you
0: don't need to have a bunch of cash on hand all the time.
2: So when we first got here, we were spending cash on everything. We were uh, with a bunch of other people who were getting apartments in fairly short order, and the, we didn 't have bank accounts yet, so I and a bunch of other colleagues at the school were, go, were getting were, we're literally meeting with the real estate agent in the lobby of the hotel, handing over like four inch high stacks of bills <laughs> to pay for the first month's last month 's rents and the, and the security deposit. I mean it looked like drug deals were going on constantly in the the hotel lobby, but after we got bank accounts, then suddenly you don 't need cash at all you 'll never see cash John
1: again. how is uh, cost wise how does it compare how does shanghai compare with chicago cost of a living wise
2: yeah it's it's expensive so shanghai's shanghai's expensive in terms of housing so i would say shanghai's more expensive than chicago for housing it's probably less it's definitely less expensive than new york but it's more expensive than chicago
1: okay so you have a one bedroom apartment how big a one bedroom apartment
2: i'm bad with square feet square meter type stuff i'm even worse, worse with the conversion
1: how much are you paying in American dollars for a one bedroom apartment?
2: Fifteen hundred U.S. per month for a one bedroom, a fairly small one bedroom. I mean, it's not a big one. It's not a small, small one bedroom. It's a just, it's a big bedroom with a king size bed, and then the living room is a, is a one bedroom too, one bath.
1: I'm not sure that is any cheaper than New York.
2: No, it's it's well. I mean, I've just seen some things. Like I'm thinking of some fr- a friend in Hell's Kitchen. I'm thinking of some friends in Williamsburg, and I know what they're paying, and I they're paying more for less space but the the prices are similar for real estate's crazy here the entire economy in china is propped up by a real estate market that some people say is bound for a crash but that the you know the government can't let crash because people will lose their lives and they they can't handle a crash the way i guess the u.s didn't really handle it either but we had a recession you know they're trying to find a way out but they know they have an extra stock of housing and they know that the prices for housing is too high but they I, I don't know I mean you know you don't really know what the plan is, but they're trying to figure out a way to get it to be to let it let everybody down with prices, but right now everything is just inflated crazy inflated so the two things that are expensive here are housing and expat food. everything else is dirt cheap
0: so are you constantly thinking in U.S. dollars, or are you doing the conversion in your head? I'm converting. Money?
2: Yeah, I'm converting constantly. Ted has already completely shifted to Chinese yuan, which is also RMB or RMB. He kind of thinks in those numbers, and I'm I'm already starting to begin to value some things a little bit in those numbers, but. I pretty much take whatever number they give me, and I multiply by 0.15. And that's how I come up with dollars, and then I think in terms of dollars. It's That's a big deal, right? I mean, even when I live in Europe, it takes a while to switch to a local yes, currency.
0: For sure. Okay, so you live in a four-story apartment building?
2: It's a four-story old building. Our unit's been rehabbed. It's nice. Um, how many units? It, notoriously. So probably the building that we're in probably has – it's a four stories, and there's probably three apartments per floor.
0: Okay, with an elevator?
2: No elevator. It's a walk-up. That's one of the things that I told the realtor we were willing to do because I lived in a walk-up in Paris, and I was more than willing to live in a walk-up here to get a better deal. And so So we got that. So what
0: floor are you on?
2: We're on the third floor.
0: Good. There's your exercise.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's
0: how I look at it. Who's living in your apartment building? Other expats, Chinese Old people. Old people,
2: a lot. All Chinese people. No other expats. Oh. All Chinese people. Yeah, and it's amazing. I mean, we're in the middle of Shanghai. We're in the neighborhood called. We're in a neighborhood called the former French Concession, which is kind of an expat-y neighborhood. It's. It, but I mean, if I look out my window, I can see I'm surrounded by high rises, but we're in this little like residential area, and it's. Uh, we wanted somewhere that was not in a high rise because that would be the easy thing to do here. Everybody lives in a high rise. And they're all Chinese.
1: John, have you learned any of the language yet?
2: I know how to say hello and thank you.
1: And Ted has learned more of the language.
2: <laughs> Ted's learned a lot. Ted can yeah, Ted can speak to cabbies and he can like order th- order off a menu and yeah, oh yeah. Ted's like flying.
1: Now why in your opinion is Ted adapting more quickly? Than Ted's you are? a
2: musician and musicians are notoriously great at But languages. he's
1: also adapting in terms really? of money, you said. Yes. So it's not just language. Yeah, he's just
2: more adaptable. Yeah, no, right. He's just more he's just better at it than I am. But they do say in Chinese in particular they say that the musicality is a, is an advantage because every vowel like they have a e i o u here just like just like we do in English, but each one of them, A, has four different sounds, and they're tonal. So if you say A or A, they're different vowels. They're not just saying the vowel differently. They're actually different vowels. So that becomes a very big deal, and that tonality matters. So if you're tone deaf, you're going to have a hard time in Chinese.
0: It's interesting. You've never heard that before.
2: We are taking a class. We just signed up for a class. But after an hour, I, was, I couldn't remember how to say goodbye. I was like, shoot, I can figure this out. I know I can figure this out, but I was I was exhausted. It was after a work day, and I was like, I can't remember how to say goodbye.
0: Well, and you've learned languages before.
1: Yeah, I have. I have a two-part question for you, John. Yeah, go ahead. Jim. What is the biggest pleasant surprise about your stay there, and which is the biggest unpleasant surprise?
2: Good question. So the biggest pleasant surprise has been the – cleanliness and quiet of Shanghai. You shouldn't fact check me on this, but I'm going to tell it like a story because that's what I do. But there's a story and that two years ago, Shanghai was incredibly loud because there were tons of mopeds and moped-like vehicles all over the streets with engines going, you know, and making that noise that you hear that I picture with a lot of countries. And two years ago, apparently the Chinese government basically, basically outlawed those and said that everybody has to have e-bikes electric uh, electric motor run bikes so now when you're on the streets it literally you don't hear anything but the whoosh of rubber on asphalt it's super quiet on the streets all the time i mean all the streets all the time are quiet i mean if you're on a big street yeah you'll hear cars like a highway but it's nothing like i've never seen anywhere with this many bikes where it's just completely silent So that's been a really pleasant surprise. And the subway is spotless clean and costs about a dime to go anywhere and, you know, air conditioned and like very pleasant. The biggest disappointment, I guess might be the, some of the high rises that I see. There's something architecturally that I don't like about when you put a high rise and then you have like a big like plaza around it. And gates of entry and it doesn't there's something about the high rises poorly done that make me feel like lonely and i then except for this one of the reasons we chose to live in this neighborhood is because it's kind of like old shanghai and that it's still there are at least some old buildings around but everywhere around us just they're they are tear down neighborhoods and they put up these high rises which are obviously they're beautiful and they're nice and architecturally interesting but when you're walking around them, there's just there. There's something. I don't know. They're they're unpleasant to look at.
0: I'm happy to hear what you said about the cleanliness. I was sort of picturing just like you described, with the mopeds whizzing everywhere, kind of like when we were in Vietnam and people were four people to a moped and exactly people wearing masks. Yep, that's how I was picturing it.
2: So that's good. Yeah, no, it's not like that at all. No, and, and actually, that was what I was thinking too. I mean, that was when we were in, we were in that city and, or that, that's, that park. We were trying to cross the street in Hanoi. Yeah. and We literally couldn't go across because it was a sea of bikes coming at us. And at some point, you just have to begin to walk, knowing they're going to like go around you like fish going upstream as you walk across the street. And that's not how it is here at all. The other story that somebody told me is that People used to regularly just ignore stoplights here, and they would just go through them. And then even as recently as six months ago, the government decided people are going through too many lights. So they sent out, like, thousands of cops to sit on every intersection in the city during rush hour and write hundreds of thousands of tickets. And now nobody goes through red lights. (laughs) I mean, there is some amazing, like, leaps that they do. You could talk all day about what the implications of that are culturally or socially beyond that, but they do some pretty wild stuff really fast here.
0: So tell us about a typical day, work day. Do you take the train to work? Do you walk?
2: Yeah, we take the train to work. We walk about a hundred yards to get onto the subway. At, we're, right at a, we're right near a university and we walk downstairs at the subway. Every time you get on the subway, you go through a metal detector, but it's kind of like a like I can't believe they're actually looking at it but whatever you go through a metal detector and they have guards and you go through them and then you pay your 15 cents go on the train takes us about we go two stops which doesn't seem very far but it's pretty far like if we were in a cab I think it would be like 20 minutes 25 minutes but in a in this on the subway it's like 5 minutes and get off we take one of these bike shares oh there's another big thing we have over here there's tons of bike shares. We use a couple of them. There's one called MoBike and one called Ofo. They're in English. And you get an app. And after you have the app, you open the app, and then you can scan a QR code on the bike. And the bike automatically unlocks. And you can ride it for like an hour. And it costs one yuan, which is 15 cents. So we get off the subway, and we jump on that. And we bike to work. And you can, and you can put the bikes anywhere. There's no rules about where the bikes go. The bikes can just be picked up and dropped off anywhere. So you just, people just leave them all over the place and they're just, they're thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of them all over the city. I love that. Yeah. Oh, it's super cool. It's super cool because there's no racks for them. You can just take one anywhere. So everybody rides them. I mean, they're just absolutely everywhere. So Ted and I get off the subway, we get up, we get an Ofo and, you know, we bike maybe, I don't know, five minutes, eight minutes to get to the, to get to the school. Uh, we go in, and we're working at our super inter- cool international school with a really diverse population, spend the day there, and then afterward, we, um, we've been coming home and then going out to eat. I mean, we, were, we spent almost a month in a hotel trying to find a, get our apartment arranged, so we've been not eating at home ever, which is kind of not like us because we like to eat at home. Now we're going to start doing that. We get our first delivery of food today, so we're really excited about it. And we, of course, we, of course, had our food delivered because why would you go to a grocery store when you can have your food delivered?
1: So, John, what are you teaching?
2: I'm teaching English and I'm working with a curriculum that's kind of international. It's kind of a hodgepodge of American, British and international curricula.
1: So, for example, what are you teaching in English class this week?
2: My seniors are studying propaganda posters so we're studying juniors are studying propaganda posters we're talking about the way communication is maybe abused but has been abused by people who are trying to manipulate audiences
0: is that you your choice or do you have to
2: follow some? curriculum No, it's a curriculum but it's very open-ended curriculum it's it's a it's a system called the international baccalaureate the international baccalaureate is run it's a it's out of britain it's a non-profit out of britain kind of like the equivalent in the u.s of the college board but it's in britain and they are very big in international schools and it's a way that universities know that you've got a hot shot kid if they've come out with a international baccalaureate diploma before they get out of high school and they have to do six Courses. One of them is English in this very specific way, and I'm teaching that course, and I'm teaching a couple courses with it. And it's what's cool about it is it allows the teacher and the department to come up with kind of completely their own choice of texts and their own choice of approaches. There's a lot of latitude. It's very teacher friendly. So
0: we have an international baccalaureate school here in Grand Rapids too. So yep. they would be They're very trendy. They'd be learning the same similar to what
2: you're teaching in Shanghai. The big thing in education now has been over the last, really the last decade, has been a move away from specific content that you study, and now you focus on skills. This is basically a head nod to the fact that we have no idea what people are going to need to know how to do in in the next 20 years. So what we do know is they need to know how to learn, and they have to know how to think and communicate. You know, the conversations that I was having 25 years ago in English departments was about whether a student must read Death of a Salesman to be considered an intelligent person. And those conversations are pretty much gone now. Everybody knows that what really matters is whether you can communicate because all the content, for lack of a better word, the literature is so – there's so much of it and it's so international that you can't really – that's not as important. It's still important. But it's not. Um, it's the the thing that's really going to distinguish any program is going to be skills, and that's what the IB does. The International Baccalaureate really focuses on skills.
1: So, John, all of your students speak English, correct?
2: Correct. Oh, yeah, it's total international school. The whole school is in English.
1: Now, is there a very broad range in their capabilities and comprehension?
2: This is a hotshot school. You can't get in here unless you're really – you're fluent. So these, these kids are native speakers. Nobody's doing anything second-language-y. These are kids who know uh, enough English to get into a school that's basically going to guarantee them entrance into a U.S. or U.K. university. And that's the big thing that's happening here.
1: Do you find that there's any language barrier at all when you're trying to teach them yeah, stuff? Sure. Is idiomatic issues? Yeah.
2: Yeah, sure, 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 sure. There's some. But almost all of these kids have spent time in the U.S. or U.K., almost all of them. These kids are quite well-traveled. They've been exposed to to a wide variety of cultures. I was looking at this um, other kind of school group in Beijing, and I was talking with them a couple a few months ago before we decided to come here. And all the, the hot shot Chinese schools are doing this. So certainly there are kids here who haven't been out of the country who are focusing on getting into us or uk universities and they would have certain language challenges but these kids i'm working with don't but the norm in china and i've i've seen this all over china is there is a major push for international education to prepare kids to be international players on a global stage and know everything about everywhere Uh, and it's it's in some ways, in my head, it's kind of counter to a lot of the nationalism I'm seeing in the West. It's very global. You know, there's a big economic program here where people call it—I don't know if you've heard of—it's it, called the Belt and Road Initiative, and it's basically the Chinese government is spending, you know, like 50 times what the Marshall Plan was, or more than that. It's probably even more than that in real dollars, and they're spending money on all kinds of nations, and the idea is like. China wants to be a global player. And they recognize that they got to have their kids. They have to have their kids be hotshots on the global scene. And So there's this national push for kids to be very globally exposed. And in the schools, it's crystal clear it's happening in the schools.
0: Well, why do you think that the Chinese are so interested in American education? Is that still true?
2: Yeah. I don't know if you've heard this before. The number one export from the United States is its education. I mean, people want to go to U.S. universities. They're known for being the best in the world. U.S. and U.K. universities, they're known for being the best in the world. They're the kind of places that are going to give you, you know, get you into the whatever the world class organizations, jobs that you want.
0: So why? Why is it so different? Why can't they have those kind of universities in China? What do you think the difference is there?
2: I'm sure there are there are people here who would say they do, and universities are great. I don't know how much you want to, you know, we, we would talk about the, the existence of the top end of the, the, the spectrum of schools, the best universities in the world, really kind of setting the expectations for everybody else. I think that's probably a big part of it. So, you know, Harvard is Harvard, and, and the things that come out of there are going to have resonances throughout, you know, the entire world. And- the idea of you replicating the kind of knowledge that's happening there and the kind of critical mass of thinkers that you have there is very difficult. I guess the biggest thing in my head is it's a global market like anything else. It's a, Education is a global market. Higher ed is a global market. And at some point when people are trying to align themselves with the best that's out there, they're just going to go wherever the best is. And if that's in the U.S., that's in the, that's in the U.S. Now, that's not to say everything is the best, but there is a perception that the best universities in the world are in the U.S. and the U.K., and that's why these kids are targeting that.
1: John, there was a recent article in the New York Times that mentioned that China apparently has the most rapidly aging population, hmm. at least among developed countries. And I'm wondering if that you see any evidence of that, and do you, do you have any sense of how that is impacting upon Chinese life.
2: So I don't know about rapidly aging. I've definitely noticed the fact that there are single child homes all over the place, which is, I guess, not news to anybody. I know that policy has been uh, lightened up on in the last I don't know x number of years. I guess I don't know that much about what's happening population wise in China. I don't know.
1: You don't get the sense just from the time you've been there that there is – it's skewing as an older population, which is what seems to be the case.
2: Yeah, no, it doesn't feel that way at all. I'm using complete anecdotal perceptions, but I'm on the subway or I'm walking around town, and I see, if anything, a greater diversity of ages and – Sexes, even ethnicities, uh, then you know, within the, the incredibly diverse Chinese uh, ethnic you know re- uh, realm, I'm seeing more of that here than I've ever seen. I mean, it's it seems young actually to me.
0: Well, and you just brought up the single child household. I read a great article a couple of years ago in the New Yorker about the shortage of women now for Chinese men right. to marry, and how this has become an issue. I don't I don't know if there's any sure. I don't know how you would be able to notice that in your environment, but I I found that fascinating and right. how that's going to
2: be solved.
1: More gay men. So, that's the solution, yeah, right, there you John? Go. More gay men.
2: Yeah, right. Yep, yep, yep. That is a solution. Yep. I don't know. It, it seems I don't even notice. I don't. I, the more I've been here, the first thing I've noticed is how much more like just daily life is very similar To it's much more similar to the U.S. than when I was here before 15 years ago or 10 years ago. I forget when I was here. Things look and seem a lot like the U.S. in many ways. Now, I just mean in terms of like, you know, how you get around and how you eat and where you go and how you and what structures look like. Well,
0: and access to things, I would imagine.
2: And access to things. Yeah, it just seems it's, it's really similar in a lot of ways. So I don't, I'm not noticing big uh, differences from, from the U.S. It, most of the time.
0: So is that good or is that? Yeah, I guess so. Were, were you hoping for more of an adventure or do you still?
2: No, no, no. It's more of an adventure. Well, th- th- this is for sure something I've realized. I mean, this is just because I've been traveling my whole life. And the older I get, the more I'm realizing how much we really are in a globalized world. It's It just is. I mean, there's no question that, I mean, we were talking about this last week with Maddie about her having a friend in Israel who she talks with regularly anytime she wants. And that's just true for everybody, right? I mean, I can pick up the phone and I can have a conversation with my sister anytime in Chicago for any length of time for free and there's just no question that it's just it's global everything is things are global I mean forget about the fact that I'm obviously noticing that there are brands here that I recognize in far greater numbers than I've ever seen before. I mean, there are tons of the same products that I see in the U.S. They're exactly the same. The cars here are completely like the U.S. I mean, if anything, there's mostly there are more German cars. I see tons. I mean, I'm in Shanghai, so it's very wealthy. But I see tons of uh, Mercedes and BMWs everywhere. I mean, the majority of cars and Teslas. I see Teslas everywhere. The brands are very similar, too. But more than that, it's just that, like, there's this – I go to a little grocery store on the corner as I'm walking by on my way back from work and I'm seeing a lot of the same types of food. And I know I wouldn't have seen that 20 years ago. I know it's, I know that's different. So there's no question. It's like there's a, a global thing happening that just was not in place when I was younger. And the implications of that I think are massive, right? I think it's like all the stakes are higher for us to make sure that everybody in the world is getting along and working well together, and that's, and that's like it's crystal clear to me. It's like everybody is in the same boat now in a way they haven't been before.
0: Well, I was thinking about my experience when I traveled and lived in Uzbekistan, and that was in 2006. So I would like to go – and things there were a little iffy, very spotty internet connection. It was very difficult to be in contact with people Things were not, it wasn't roughing it per se, but it also wasn't anything at your fingertips. You know, it was way, way pretty archaic. Right. And I wonder what it would be like there now. Mm -hmm. When I'm Facebook friends with all those people that I used to live with, those local people, and the stuff they put on Facebook, even to have Facebook back in 2006, I I have a feeling it's a lot more
2: like you're saying. It's just more global. and. It's true. No, it's true. I mean, I mean the, this this stuff, especially the internet stuff has radically transformed everybody's lives. It's not just in the US. It is way bigger and and way more global. The you know, the other thing, I remember when I was in when I was living in Paris and I thought it was really unusual, all the movies in Paris, if you were a cool movie theater in Paris, you showed things in original version, meaning in the original English or whatever language it was and you had French subtitles. And I assumed when I came to China that it would be like other countries that I think of with big languages uh, or big you know countries where the language is big enough and there're enough people there that they would dub the movies every movie in China is an original version if you go to a theater there's like no movies at all none no movie theaters that are dubbed
1: meaning are the movies in China mostly the English English language movies
2: there depends which depends where you go to in the middle of town and the, there there's this massive Crazy, massive, brand new mall that's just off the ch- off the charts, uh, wealthy, and you know, like all the top brands, including like two Apple stores. It's like crazy, and they have a theater that's all mo- that looks like it's mostly almost all Hollywood films. But then if you go. To all, in a, of, a lot of other parts You can find movies from everywhere Now admittedly the majority are Hollywood and Chinese films But there are lots of them I was actually assuming that they would all be dubbed And my friends here are like no They're all in original language That's all they have here They don't even, sh- they don't even consider dubbing them and I, I thought that was really unusual. And that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're David Hasselhoff in Germany and you want to have your, well, you yeah. and I
0: have been to many movie theaters in foreign countries, and because uh, I don't know why, but when we go on long trips, somehow we always wind up seeing at least one movie. But I remember wearing headphones. Yep. At these movies, you know, in two in the 2000s, because the movie was dubbed in Russian. And so you listen through your headphone to hear it in English. I don't know.
2: Interesting. I take that as an indication of the fact that it's a more global society. It's a society bragging to say, you know, we are, we're welcoming, we do things in original version. And I think it's great. I always thought dubbing was kind of second rate anyway, right? Like, oh, you're just, you're dubbing it because your people are too lazy to learn another language, which quite frankly, I'm too lazy to learn Chinese well, so I'm not trying to throw a brick in a glass house here. But I I do think it's impressive that you know that, they, that that's, And I think it's indicative of, we, of us living in a global society that that's the case.
1: Well, are you guys saying, in a sense, what it sounds like you're saying, and I know John is going to be resistant to this, but what your sounds like you're saying is that the rest of the world is in some sense more and more adapting the elements of the American cultural scene? Well, I'm not sure what you mean by that. Well, I mean, that in terms of lifestyle, in terms of entertainment, in terms of popular culture, in terms of those sorts of things, that the rest of the world is becoming more like we think the United States has been.
2: I guess the answer is yes. I think there's no question that the U.S. has built a system of kind of open something or other, openness maybe, an open society, and that... At some level, and I don't know if I—I I don't know how much I'd want to attribute this to the internet, but at some level, the rest of the world has adopted that. Now I don't know—I well, don't know exactly what that means and what parts of that have been adopted and not adopted, but I think there's something there's something that the U.S. has been putting out there that the rest of the world is grabbing. There's no question about that for me.
0: So, John, switching gears a little bit, you went to Shanghai with your husband Ted. Are you guys just doing everything together? because you've been there a month and you don't know anybody else yet and what's that like because that is probably not what your life was like in Chicago
2: no it's great we're doing most things together I mean part of the reason we came here was because we want we were we looked at the opportunity to be together and we were like what can we do that where we can both do it and we're like we can both go into school we like schools uh, and we can both be in this and we're in the same school and that's been cool I, I will say that when we were looking for jobs internationally cuz Ted had taught in Guatemala and I had taught in Paris and we kind of you know we both we both traveled a lot and we knew we would like being abroad but he and I went to these international job fairs and if you want to test your relationship if you're in a relationship you should go and interview at one of these job fairs if you go to these international job fairs and you have a spouse or a partner you interview with the spouse or partner even if there's not a job for them so imagine you having a job interview and your partner sitting in the room, critiquing you silently while you're being interviewed. All of the interviews that Ted and I had were that way. So we'd walk out, we'd inevitably walk out of the interview and lean over and go, I wouldn't answer that question that way. (laughs) We're "We're on each other for it. And, you know, we had some good experiences that way and some bad, but it was definitely, it was definitely entertaining relationship wise because we, you know, we got a lot closer through that. But um, here, we are spending most of our time together even your commute to and from work together oh yeah yeah we've had a couple of days where we haven't done it we've okay. we've had a more we've had a few mornings where i'm i want to go a little sooner than he does and so i'm just like i'm going to go um and we're actually just kind of working that out now on the whole we're doing most things together but that's kind of just the, our our vibe but we've we are not opposed to doing things apart like you say we know we don't know a lot of people here so We're spending most of our time together, but we're also, I don't know, we're both, we we are doing things on our own. We're kind of taking off and, you know, if uh, Ted wants to go to yoga, he goes to yoga by himself. And if I want to go write or read, I go do that on my own. So we are, we are not, we're not together during the workday at all. Um, We don't see each other very much. And although we might occasionally have lunch together, but it's fun. That part of it's fun being with him and being here in this adventure has been a blast.
1: Now, honestly, John, you we critiquing Ted's answers in the interviews. He wasn't really critiquing yours, right? Yeah, you're right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> of course. I was like, why did you answer that way? So How really you what you're saying is
1: that <laughs> anybody putting up with you is just further intensified by having to go through the job interview experience with you sitting there.
2: It, it is a definitely an intense thing going through something like that with me, because needless to say, like with everything else, I have strong opinions about everything. Explain to
1: me. Maybe Peggy knows the answer to this question. What experience with you is not an intense experience?
2: <laughs> oh, come on. There's all kinds of things that are calming and peaceful. There may be I things like that you like doing relaxing, that are calming and gentle, peaceful,
1: but your element to it is not the calming, peaceful element that you add to it. <laughs> So, Jim,
0: I have to say that I find John sort of calming and peaceful with this uh, podcast. When we had these technical difficulties this morning, he just types these messages that say, it's fine, no rush. Yes, this is at the same John... time,
1: he's yelling in my ear saying, oh, she needs a new computer. Why isn't Mary going up there buying her a new computer? Blah, 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 okay. blah, 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 okay. blah, 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 blah. I mean, he's a maniac. He's just behaving himself. In front of you, I guess, because he's afraid to quilt or something. And by the way, I think it is amazing that the Internet has gone all around the world, but we still have trouble hooking Peggy up to the podcast in Grand Rapids. I know. So perhaps we need to have some sort of Marshall plan for Grand Rapids. I don't know. Yeah,
0: something's not right here.
1: John, what – and I don't know uh, the right way to ask this question – and so uh, hopefully I'm not offending anyone by asking it this way. But tell us, what is the gay scene like in Shanghai?
2: So there are gay bars and there are gay people and there's there are gay websites and th- there are events. It's not – and it, so it's lively and it's open and it's comfortable. You know, people are out at work and and talk, at least in the – certainly in the international circles in which I'm traveling, they are. I'm married, so we don't go out that much. But to to the bars, we tend to go to other places, just where there are other groups of people. But we've been to the, we've been to, the, to out to see like kind of the gay neighborhood and gay bars a few times, and there is one. It's not you know flag waving, but if the online representations are any indication, it's ubiquitous. There are plenty of you know plenty of things to do here if you're gay. There's supposed to be some kind of a um, I don't know what it is The the in f- October, there's the national holiday, which is kind of like China's July Fourth, and um, everybody's off for a week and there's supposed to be a um, some kind of a kind of a festival that's LGBTQ related that I've kind of see, seen inklings of, but I don't know that much about it. And I'm going to I'm planning on doing more research, but the you know, I've been to a couple of bars here. They're massive and they're fun and they're very similar to anything you'd
1: see in the West so is it different is it different from uh, Chicago say?
2: well the thing I like about the the gay community in general is it's a great way to meet people I mean when I traveled for the vast majority of my life that was what I would do I'd go to a new city and I would go to gay bars and have a few drinks and meet guys maybe hook up maybe not but it was like that was the thing you know anywhere you go in the world being gay is a there's a kind of you know there's a community to it there's an experience of life that's part of it and so you know i've seen that everywhere i've ever gone and this is this place is no exception the exception here is that i'm here with ted and we're kind of we're just really hanging out with groups and so we're not kind of going out meeting people now at the same time i say that i don't know the impact of my not knowing mandarin very well or shanghaiese very well if at all you know on meeting people but i can say we've gone out you know two or three times and i've met people each time and had great conversations and gotten to know people. Admittedly, they all speak English, and there is a lot of English in Shanghai. I mean, Shanghai is the one place they say you can come to, and it's kind of hard to learn Mandarin because everybody speaks English. And there's some truth to that. I mean, everybody speaks enough that they can usually tell you numbers and thank you and goodbye and hello. And every time on the subway that I stand up or somebody wants to get past me, they inevitably say, excuse me, in English. So, you know, they look at me, they see a white guy, and they say, excuse me. I know that there's some impact to the to my not knowing uh, Mandarin, but I don't know what it is at this point. I, I mean, I'm sure if I were in a smaller town in China, it would be an entirely different experience. But Shanghai is a unique place on earth.
0: John, you talked about Ted going to yoga. Yeah. So working out has always been something that's important to you. Are you? Yeah. Do you run in Shanghai?
2: No. In the city, or are you have you found a gym? No, this is what I'm telling you is I'm in the worst shape of my adult life. I am not exercising the way I used to. I mean, I'm,
1: I'm doing – I do some yoga with Ted. Now that he's married, he's letting himself go, Peggy. Yeah, it's, it's like filling so. the stereotype. It's a little bit true,
2: actually. It's just a little <laughs> bit true. It's like your, my priorities have definitely shifted. But at the same time, I'm trying to work out. I do it now and then. I just don't do it as much. I definitely have not gotten into a routine. But we've only been in this apartment a week and a half. I mean, we've been we were in a hotel for the first month. Oh, we wow. were here. So we we were not. Now, I will say the one thing that was kind of off-putting about running outside was the air quality, mm-hmm. and I was ro- worried about that because everybody's saying, "Oh, Shanghai's air quality is getting worse than, you know, getting worse than it was," and, you know, it's not as bad as Beijing, but it's it's not great. And I got to tell you the air quality's not that bad. Now that I'm here and kind of here every day and paying attention, it's You know, it's the same as Tokyo. It's a little, you know, it's a little worse than maybe New York or Paris, but it's not that bad. If I haven't been running outside, it's primarily because it's been, you know, 98 degrees and 75% humidity for the last until maybe two weeks ago. And now the temperatures are, you know, hovering in the upper low 80s, high 70s, and the humidity has gone. So it's like gorgeous as of a week ago. And I see runners now, I see people in the neighborhood running and kind of out out and about, and i don 't see air masks the way I kind of anticipated they, they might be, and even even on days when the air quality's you know not that great, people just don 't live that way
1: john i this may be hard, and it may be unreasonable to expect this, given that you're traveling mostly as you say in international circles. Do you get any sense of hostility or resentment to the United States in your experience? Not at all. Zero.
2: I'm not kidding. There is no question that the parents who are, I mean, I'm working mainly in education circles, and I've had conversations not only at the school I'm at but with others, and there's no question that, especially in the population of people who are committing their children to an education that will prepare them only for a U.S. or U.K. university, and that they won't be taking the equivalent of the you know SAT or ACT here called the Gaokao because they're doing that th- there's an all in commitment to and, and love of life in the US i mean an appreciation for the US i have not heard a single negative thing if anything i'm asked for more information and more detail about you know how to better align themselves parents students uh, and, and friends to they're trying to better align themselves to life in the. US. So I haven't had a single negative experience about any of it. Now that's there's something to be said about China. I think there's something about China where people you know there's everyone says and I haven't seen it myself in terms of like the value, but I've seen the practice of it, which is I've seen a lot of people here, I don't know. They they kind of let you have your own space. It's like what you're doing is your, what you're doing, and I'm and I won't interfere with it. And I'm totally screwing up probably the underlying Confucian or Buddhist values that are that that led to this. But there is like a live and let live, and you do your thing, and whatever it is is fine. And I'm going to leave you alone mentality that uh, is is like nothing I've seen anywhere else. So even maybe if there were some un it was some unhappiness, uh, you know, with Americans are with me. I don't see it at all. Do people talk about Trump? I'm having conversations in international circles. I'm not having conversations with Chinese people. But there are like daily newspapers uh, that are in English here, and they always have they always have stories about Trump. And you know, most of them are not support are very negative. They're ways of showing, highlighting the fact that the U.S. democratic system is schizophrenic. Uh, In some ways where, you know, you can have a different a new a new leader elected and then the whole government goes in a whole new direction and kind of gives up on things like the Paris Accords and a bunch of other, you know, a bunch of other things that are that are happening in the US now. So that the media here is definitely not generous, but I don't think it's terribly unfair. I mean, if anything, you know, it's it's the same stuff you might read in The New York Times or The Washington Post. So I don't think it's that I don't think it's that different in terms of the types of things they're saying. Just the take on it is a little more, I don't know, distant.
1: Well, John, I think that is the last word for today from China. So the question is, have you persuaded Peggy to go visit you in Shanghai?
2: Oh, yeah. I hope to. We'll see. Yeah, of course she's going to come. Peggy was already going to come. Yeah. It's easy to get here. That's what
1: was most amazing to me is how inexpensive it is to fly it's cheaper. Now, your interpretation of inexpensive is what, John?
2: No, it was it was, you can get tickets tickets to Shanghai from almost any city in the US are cheaper than tickets to almost anywhere in Europe.
1: And how much is that?
2: I saw tickets when we were coming here. I saw round trip tickets from Chicago nonstop for $600. Well, there you go. They're not that it's not that expensive. It's totally reasonable. What about you, Jim? You going to go?
1: Well, I I think I'm going to go, but it would be better if someone else were going too because John and Ted will be working, so I'll end up just sitting in in their apartment all day. No,
0: you won't get out but and go it. tour on your own. No.
1: I'm not I'm not good at I'm not good at that sort oh, of thing. Oh, okay. And plus, I don't ride a bike, so that's another. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff. It's
2: hey, you could start. Well, you know and the other thing is that they have an Uber-like thing here. It's called Didi, and it works. It's it works with Apple. It works. Yeah, with I Apple don't Maps. like Apple Maps. You just put Maps the place in you want like to go on Apple Maps. I like Apple. Well, my all point right. Is
1: <laughs> this was fun. We'll revisit later. Uh, hopefully, we'll have another chance to talk more about China before John gets kicked out of the country. <laughs> and uh, thank you, John. <laughs> Thank you, Peggy. Yeah, thank you. As well, thanks, always, Jim. thank thanks, you Peg. to our brilliant engineer, Mary Heinz, who is the actual only irreplaceable person involved with this podcast. No kidding. And uh, we'll be back in uh, two weeks. Okay, sounds good. Yep. So you guys, sounds great. Good. Looking forward Say to hi talking to Ted.
0: To Ted.